Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. C4 Church, how are you? It's great to be with you, great to worship with you. It's pretty cool that you're a church in three locations. Uh, where I come from, my church, we are just starting a second location this fall. But I always am amazed every Sunday when I think about it that really for the last 12 hours and for the next 12 hours, like we join millions of people around the world. One of the reasons I know Jesus is who he says he is is because there's no culture or language that has a corner on him that says, oh, he, he's, he's our savior only, right? He's, there's been more songs written about him in more languages than any person on the face of the earth. And they're all love songs, and it never stops, and it keeps going. And so we're not just here together, but we are joining uh, millions of people just to be together and to be with Christ. Uh, I was reading in the little, uh, little flyer there that you have about the series that you're in right now. And, and it talks about, um, you know, life change. And one of the words it uses in there is about is conversion. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, and maybe you're new to church this morning or you're new in a long time, the word conversion kind of makes you twitch. Because you're like, this is the problem with Christians. Why are they trying to convert people? Why are they trying to make other people believe what they believe? Maybe you, maybe you think that. Maybe you have people in your family that say that. Uh, certainly we live in a culture that says, look, believe what you want to believe, but just don't be fundamental about it. Or don't be radical about it. Certainly don't try to make other people believe what you believe. And, and, and a lot of people would say that's the problem with the world. That's the problem with religion. That's the problem that's happening within nations and with countries. And historically is that if people could just stick to their own beliefs, live and let live, that that would be a better way to live. We actually live in a, in a culture now where it's like, it's, it's not just not on vogue anymore to convert people. It's actually considered evil. It's the source of evil. And so even when we think about this word conversion, it can be like, oh, I, maybe, maybe you came today and you're like, oh, I'm not sure about this church. Now, even if you are a follower of Jesus, you, you'd be like, yeah, that's the thing that's always kind of bothered me about this. Maybe you grew up in a church that was like, or a home, or you had a friend, they were really pushy, and it always felt like they were trying to do something to you or make you believe something, or you never bring your friends because you know that was what it felt like to be in your family or in your church or when the subject of faith ever came up. That it's kind of unloving to treat people like that. But think about it this way. When we talk about conversion, we're talking about change. And actually, if you don't want to change, or you don't want the people around you to change, you don't actually have a lot of love for them. Right? Like if you're like, hey, I don't need to change. I am who I am. I love me just the way I am. How many of you want your spouse to change? You put your hands up. Yeah, the rest of you are lying. Don't lie in church, okay? I can tell you, even if you don't think you need to change, everyone else around you does. <laughs> right? Like, if you, don't, if you don't care to be more than who you are, if you're not honest enough to say, man, there's some things about me, I just, I'm having a hard time changing, but I need to. If you don't have a dream in your heart or in your mind's eye, even if you're somewhat cynical about it, about the person you could be, or deep down long to be, if you don't want to be more of that person, if you don't want to actually change, you don't really love the people around you at all. 
And maybe even more to the point, if you don't want the people around you to change, you don't love them either. Like if you don't want the people around you to be free from their addictions, if you don't want them to have a better marriage or a thriving marriage than the one they have, if you don't want them to be able to grow up and get rid of that immaturity that keeps holding them back in their workplace or in school or sabotaging their relationships, if you don't actually want them to change and to grow, you don't really love them at all. It sounds right to say live and let live, but that's not love, that's just apathy. I don't care enough about you to want anything more for you than what you got right now. See, if we really love people, if we really care about the world we live in, if we care about the person who's studying next to us in our classroom or in the library, if we care about the person we carpool with to work or work with, if we care about the person we share a bed with or share a, a dining table with, if we really love them, we want more for them, even maybe than they want for themselves. Now, if we're honest and we come and say, okay, fine, 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 fine I need to change. Jesus, change me now. Right? Like maybe you came to church this morning hoping this will just happen somehow. Just reprogram me. Just disconnect those wires and fix it. Reprogramming is what you do to robots. But humans need something else. We need transformation, not reprogramming. And if you go to scripture, which we're going to in a few moments, you see the scripture is really the library that chronicles the story of God and the story of you. If you're trying to figure out who you are, you got to know scripture. Because it actually tells us not just who God is, but who we are in relationship to him and how the story of scripture still continues to unfold even today. And do you know what the scriptures say about transformation? All transformation begins with a conversation. A conversation. If you read any of the four biographies of Jesus that we have for us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them Gospels. The word just means good news. It's the good news about Jesus according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. In the four biographies of Jesus, you will find Jesus constantly in conversation with people. All kinds of conversations, different people. And there was no two conversations that were the same. Jesus didn't have like a little stump speech, you know, like he had a little pamphlet that he said he would stop people in the center. Like, hey, can I tell you something about God? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Flip. Hey, there's a picture of me. Um, but I have blonde hair and blue eyes and I'm from the Middle East. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Like Jesus didn't have these little flyers that he went around just telling people the same conversation ten times. You ever seen the, the one that's like looks like a dollar bill or whatever on the ground? And you go to pick it up and it says, do you really want to be rich? You know, no God. Have you ever seen that? It, it's, the problem is it, it looks like a $10 American bill, which is like worth 600 Canadian dollars. So you want to pick it up, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't have these canned conversations with someone. We actually have a range of things Jesus said. And actually in the Gospel of John, the fourth biography, it looks quite different than the other three. It records some of the longest sections of Jesus just talking to people. And they are all conversations that led to transformation. And so we're going to read one of them today, but Jesus has a conversation with a woman he meets at a well. And it's about transformation in her life, but it also ends up being about transformation in our lives. And even though every conversation Jesus has was different, there was something strangely familiar about all of them. I'm going to stay with me. It's a little bit of a longer section, but it is a story of a conversation Jesus had with a woman in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 30. So he left, that's Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria to get there. 
So we came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by a well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, John reminds us. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. Mm. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claimed that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, if you've heard this story before, or maybe you've never heard it before, I think the reality and the dynamic of what is going on and just how transformational a conversation this is escapes us if we don't stop and think about it for a moment. I mean, first of all, this is quite a remarkable turn of events. The woman, in the space of a few minutes, has a transformative conversation, goes into her town, and brings out hundreds of people. If you read on, it says hundreds of people actually came and became followers of Jesus. She's sort of the first successful evangelist, in a sense, that we read in the story of Jesus. But something incredible is happening in this conversation. And even though it's like no other conversation Jesus has had before, there is something, as I said, strangely familiar about it. And it is the basis of every conversation that leads to transformation in your life and my life. And it is this. Jesus saying to her two things. I love you exactly as you are. And I love you too much to leave you as you are. 
This is actually the heart of not only this conversation, but every conversation that Jesus has ever had with anyone that led to transformation. I love you exactly as you are. I love you too much to leave you as you are. You might say, well, where does he say I love her? It is all over this conversation. First of all, John notes that Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee and that he had to go through Samaria because Samaria was the most direct route. But you have to know that no self-respecting Jew, especially a Jewish man like Jesus, who was a rabbi, a teacher, and considered religiously pure, would ever choose to go through Samaria. You'd take the long way. The Jews had a saying that it was better to walk in a ditch or fall in a ditch than to have your shadow touch the shadow of a Samaritan. They had nothing to do with each other. They considered them to be sort of a half-breed because they were kind of half-Israelites, like from originally God's people, but had mixed with other peoples. So they were, and they were also kind of half-breeds religiously. They worshipped God, but they worshipped idols. So the Jews looked down on them ethnically, socially, religiously, just thought they were worse than enemies of people who didn't know God at all. And so their idea of actually going through Samaria and somehow Jesus chooses to go through there and go to the mo one of the most public places in Samaria, the well, where everybody comes and actually stops there. Right away we see something's different about the story. Jesus maybe is actually looking for her. And then when they have the conversation itself, you have to actually put yourself in the shoes of a first century and Near East person to understand all of the barriers that Jesus just pushes aside to have a conversation with her. First of all, she's a woman. She notes that this is strange, that he's talking to her. And the disciples later on come, why is he talking to a woman? We will ask him later. They all note it's strange. See, women in that culture... We don't even realize this, but the equality and that we want for women in our day and age, the way that we view women or the way we're trying to view women now is all because of Jesus. Because before Jesus' time, women were considered nothing more than property. That's why if you uh, married a woman and you died, then someone in your family had to marry her in order to keep the property in the family because she was just part of the deal. Woman was... was Valuable only insofar as she was related to property and maybe could bear children. Women were not allowed to give testimony in court. They weren't considered credible. They weren't allowed to study the Torah to become religious people. They didn't, men didn't think they had the rational mind to understand the things of God. And so Jesus, having a spiritual conversation with a woman about God, was right away saying to her, I think you're smart enough. I think you're worth it. I think you are worthy of conversation between equals. He doesn't just treat her as a servant. In fact, he says, he asks her, he humbles himself and says, hey, can you help me? I have thirst. Jesus wasn't just using it as sort of an opening line. He was actually thirsty. He says, Jesus, tired, sat down. And so right away we see Jesus was actually conferring on her dignity and respect and equality by the fact that he was willing to have a conversation with her and willing to have a, a spiritual conversation with her and treat her with an understanding and a respect to actually have dialogue with her. He was showing her love. But not only she was a woman, she was a Samaritan. As I said, it wasn't even right for a Samaritan's shadow to touch a Jewish shadow. They hated them, and the Samaritans responded to the Jews the same way people who are hated respond, with hate. So there's so much conflict with them. And then she says, you asked me for a drink because they weren't even allowed to drink out of the same dishes. 
The Jews believed that they would be contaminated, that they would become ritually unclean if somehow they touched a Samaritan or used even the same dish. It was that level of disdain and distance. And Jesus is sitting alone with her at a well, asking her for a drink. But not only was she a woman, not only was she a Samaritan, she was a mess. Jesus says to her, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, actually, you're right. You've had five, and now you're on to your sixth. Again, what you need to understand in Near Eastern culture, no woman would ever divorce a man. Because your only livelihood, your only hope of survival in a world was to be married. If, if things went well for you when you were 14 or 15 or 16, you would be betrothed to a man who was from a good family, who had a good job, who would look after you, and your parents would sort of assess, okay, can we give our daughter away? They're going to be okay because you didn't have RSPs and you didn't have a future. Your only future was if you could be married and a husband would care for you and you could have children, and the children would grow up and take over the family business and would take you in and look after you. That was old age security was if you had children. You can have children without a husband. And so the fact that she had been divorced, but a, but a man could divorce a woman for anything. That's why actually Jesus says in one of the other gospels, he's, he says to the men, you know what, you, you, you are allowed to divorce women for any and everything. We'll just move on to the, the nicer, newer, younger model. So but I'm telling you that he's made it really tight, made it really hard for them to get divorced because men would just move on from one to the next to the next, which is exactly what happened to this woman. So she'd been divorced five times, and then five times she'd been kicked to the curb. Five times she'd been traded in for a newer, younger, better model. And the sixth one didn't even love her enough to be married. She just to be used, but wouldn't dignify her by making her a wife. And so not only would that have made her sort of a social and religious and moral pariah in the town with the men, and they would have known that they could use her or whatever, but the women would have hated her because they would have seen her as a threat to all of their marriages. I have a friend who lives in the Middle East. He sends me pictures from time to time in midday of the temperature on the dash inside his car, 52 degrees. You don't go to a well at noon unless you don't want to be seen. You don't go to a well to draw water at noon unless you hope to not run into anybody else. Why was she at the well at noon? Maybe it's the only place she could be alone. Maybe it's the only place she could be away from the stairs, the sideways looks, the name calling, the shame that had been heaped on her. And as she's having this conversation, Jesus drops the biggest mic ever, right? Go get your husband. Oh, I don't have one. Boom. Clearly she realizes, oh, wait, you, you actually know who I am. And you're still talking to me. He was heaping on her respect, dignity, love. Don't miss this. I mean, this is what love looks like. I will move aside social, religious, moral, ethnic, gender barriers to dignify you as a human being, to look you in the eye and have a conversation with you. Jesus saying, I love you exactly as you are. I know everything about you. But I love you exactly as you are. And yet, he also says to her, I love you too much to leave you as you are. If, if you've never read this story before, the conversation is kind of confusing. Like, what are they talking about? What's with the well? What's So, so she's, she's actually putting up all of these sort of barriers and conversations and saying, and kind of coming religious pride, saying, hey, like, 
you know, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were the fathers of Israel, right? So she's saying, actually, Jacob, you know, one of the fathers of Israel, this is his well, and he drank from it, and it's on our land. So we actually have the religious upper hand. So she's having all these religious debates with Jesus, all of these smoke screens and all of these conversations. And meanwhile, he actually goes right to the heart. This isn't about where people will worship. This isn't about whose land this is on and what kind of water this is. He says, you have a thirst in your life to be loved, to be accepted, to not be rejected, to not have shame in your life anymore. And he says, that's the water you need to drink. Everything else is going to leave you thirsty again. See, it wasn't just that he loved her and dignified her exactly as she was. He loved her too much to leave her that way, and so he puts his finger on the very issue. It's not about where you're going to worship. It's not about whose well this is or what kind of water. It's the fact that you've been kicked to the curb over and over and over again to the point that you'd rather deal with Middle Eastern sun at noon than look somebody else in the eye who's going to criticize you and shame you and reject you. It was a small town. Everybody knew her deal. And Jesus in that moment is showing her not only the love of God exactly as she is, but saying, I love you too much to leave you as you are. Let's go right to the heart of the matter. I'll give you something to drink that will never leave you thirsty again. My story is a bit different. I'm not a woman. You've observed that. I'm not a Samaritan. Apparently, Graham Singh was here last week making fun of the fact that, like, I'm Indian, but not really. Because uh, my dad was here, too, and he's Indian, but he's legitimately Indian. He was born in India. He grew up on, like, Bhangra music and Bollywood films and all that kind of stuff. I was born in Canada. I'm white underneath. I grew up on Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and we go out for Indian food. So I'm not really, you know, <coughs> I'm not Samaritan, barely Indian. But this story... Actually, and, and you know, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and in a sense, on the surface, people would have looked and said, oh, yeah, he did all the right things, kind of never really strayed too far from home, never really strayed from the faith. I would have said things like, oh, I've always been a Christian, as if there's such a thing, or I've always known God, and, and, and all of that stuff. And yet, when someone said to me, well, when did you become a Christian, usually I say yesterday, <laughs> because this just keeps happening over and over again in my life as God continues to say these two things to me, a conversation that is transforming my life. E.G., I love you exactly as you are. See, before I got into pastoral ministry, I was in marketing, and, and in marketing, you learn how to spin everything. Everything is a spin. You never shoot straight. Everything is said or done or presented in the way that looks most appealing. And that wasn't just a discipline that I studied or a job that I did. It was a way of life for me, of presenting the side of myself that I thought people would accept the most. Whatever room I was in, whatever group I was in, I just learned to do that instinctively. And for me to hear the love of God over and over and over again, I said, BJ, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what's below the surface. And you know what? You are of utmost importance to the one of utmost importance. That message of love, I would have said I knew it, but I didn't know it. And until you go through seasons of rejection, seasons of doubt, seasons of difficulty, and you realize the love of God is the only thing that continues to be with you exactly as you are. But at the same time, God has said, I love you too much to leave you as you are. And as you are, you're too addicted to what other people think about you. You ride the waves of the opinion and the approval of other people. You're too addicted to a vision or a picture of success that you think you need to achieve to feel like you've done something or arrived somewhere. 
Why is it that you can hear so many positive things and one email and one conversation can send you into a pit for a week? DJ, I love you too much to leave you as you are. You, you cannot drink the water of the approval of other people and live. It'll kill you. The water I give, the love that I give, the identity that I give that's not rooted in who you are or what title or what you become or whether you became the vision of what you thought you would be, it is rooted in my love for you and my plans for you and my purposes for you, which cannot be stopped. Start drinking that water and you'll live. You know, when Jesus is talking to this woman, he said, actually he's talking to her, but he says, whoever drinks this water, the water I give, whoever has that, they will be like a stream of living water flowing in them, and they will come alive. You see, John was writing this down for us, not just to tell us what he said to her, but to tell us that Jesus is saying the same thing to you and to me. I love you exactly as you are, but I love you way too much to leave you as you are. See, we have lived in, we live in a culture we bought into a lie that says, if you love me, you'll just let me do whatever I want. That's not love, it's apathy. Jesus says, no, my love actually is the one love that accepts you exactly as you are because I'm the one person who knows you exactly as you are. And yet I love you way too much to let you stay in your addictions, in your immaturity, in your insecurity, in your dysfunctional marriage, in all of the stuff that you continue perpetuating. I love you too much to leave you as you are. You need to start drinking different water. And so I'll say this to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe it's your first time in church, your first time in a long time, or somebody dragged you here, or you said to yourself, actually, this is going to be the last time. I want to remind you that Jesus is the only one. He's the only one who knows you exactly as you are, who loves you exactly as you are, and yet has the power to make you more than you are. He's the only one. We all try to love each other like that, but all of our love, so much of it seems to be tied to conditions. If you, then I. Jesus says, I understand all of the things, some of you are here, and the things, the worst things about you, you just hoped you came to this church because you were trying to move on, and the things that you hoped nobody would ever know about you, the things that you hoped nobody knew what you did last night, the things that you hoped nobody knew what you were feeling inside or what you're going inside. Jesus says, I, may, these people may not know you, but I know you, and I love you, but I love you way too much to leave you that way. I want to free you from your addiction to what other people think of you your addictions to substances, your addiction to accumulation, your addiction to consumption, your addiction to your identity as a fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is you feel like you've achieved or not achieved yet, that Jesus actually comes to say, you need to drink different water because that water will actually satisfy you and you will become alive. And so if that's you, I would encourage you today, don't, don't, don't delay. You can trust him. He's the only one who loves you like that. And for those of us that would say, yeah, that, that's it, that, I know that, that's true. Then who are you going out of your way with to have this kind of a conversation? That there are people all around you, and do you love them exactly as they are? 
Like if you're going to have a conversation with someone that leads to transformation and you don't love them, don't say anything else, please. Do you really love the people around you that you study with, that you commute with, that you share a dinner table with, that you live in a neighborhood with, who do not know the living water of Jesus? And what does it mean for you to say, I love you exactly as you are? Jesus didn't even use the words, and yet everything about him, his posture towards the woman, what he did not allow himself to be deterred by, nothing got in the way of him having a face-to-face conversation with her. And how many of us need to say, you know what, I've let ethnic barriers, I've let social barriers, I've let moral barriers, because I think that person is kind of a mess or is going to contaminate me or my family or my children or somehow if I let them in, say, no, I actually need to show them that I love them exactly as they are. And yet I have to tell them, I love you too much not to tell you this. That you've listened to them talk about their marriage and you need to actually say, you know what, love is not just letting them go on, but actually say to them, can I just tell you, I don't know everything about how to fix marriages, but I do know who can. You know, and I've seen you, you just kind of seem to move from job to job because you're always chasing something. Can I just be honest with you? I think you're actually looking for something else. Or I've seen money and possessions or like how you keep sabotaging all your relationships. I love you way too much to keep my mouth shut. That are we willing to actually wade into conversations that could lead to transformation because we don't buy into the lie anymore that if you love someone, you'll never say anything difficult to them. What would it look like to have conversations like this? So wherever you are, if you need to have that, I would say, Go out of your way to have that conversation with Jesus today or go out of your way to have that conversation with someone who needs to know him. It's a simple conversation. I love you exactly as you are. I love you way too much to let you stay away. Friends, we live live now in a time and an age where most of the conversation out there is angry and destructive. It's critical. I even think of the things that I've said about about our government or about our neighborhood or about whatever. So much of it is angry, negative, and critical. You and I, who have experienced this kind of conversation with Jesus, that has transformed us, that is transforming us, a conversation that is about love, that says, I love you exactly as you are, but I love you way too much not to say this to you. We need to begin to change the kinds of conversations that are happening at our water coolers, at our dinner tables, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Because the world is desperately thirsty for something real. Can I pray for you? Jesus, you are so good to us. I thank you that you have had and you're still having these conversations that are transforming people. So many of us in this room, Lord, just needed to hear this again today, that you see us and you love us, that nothing could separate us from your love. We sing it, but we need to know it. But that also you're not done with us, that you want to have the hard conversations that we're sometimes talking about religions and ideas and all of this stuff, and you're putting your finger on the deep thirst in our hearts that keeps messing with us. 
And so, Lord, if I can pray this, we just give you permission to have that conversation with us again today. Maybe for some of us, it's for the first time. Maybe for some of us, it's the first time in a long time. And for some of us, it's, yep, again today. And all I can ask is, Jesus, don't stop loving us like this. Don't stop having conversations with us like this. Because we need the water that you have. Thank you that you've freely given it. That's why we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.